Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another FUDS on Film podcast. This one is Scott, and that one is Greg. Hello. So today, well, now, I don't know if you've noticed, but having done some research, I found out that the police are a controversial topic right now, <laughs> and some people are quite upset about it. Uh, so as such, I thought we'd take a look at two documentaries that will go some way to explain why people may not think they are being served and protected, with Abel Farrar's 1992 Bad Lieutenant, and, of all people, Warner Herzog's 2006 Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. These are certainly two films, uh, Scott, about policemen below the rank of captain who are not very good. <laughs> it's difficult to argue with that. <laughs> They're very accurately named films. I'm curious, did, did you have any particular reason for suggesting these two? I think it was. Just... Did I suggest them? I think it might have been. Oh, I was hoping there. No. I was hoping that you were going to write the intro to this, and in doing so, sort of justify the reasoning <laughs> behind why we selected them. But at the same time, I was kind of thinking, wasn't it me who proposed this? And I honestly don't remember why. Maybe subconsciously, it is just an f the popo thing, Scott. Yes, <laughs> it would seem like the appropriate time to uh, to cover them, I suppose, if nothing else. So. Well, if nothing else, I think um, Port of Call New Orleans certainly is, is a film. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I curate a list of stuff that I seem to remember either A, really liking that and never having found the time to go back and watch it again, or B, not having enjoyed that, but thinking that I might have been wrong about it and similarly have been meaning to get back to it for ages. And it's mm-hmm. Port of Call New Orleans was one of those films that I remember really enjoying. And when I revisited our reviews of it in the podcast from, well, 10 years ago now, mm-hmm. which is a scary thing to say, yeah. I think we will talk about it as, you know, in a, a little bit more depth presently, but we mm-hmm. were finding it very difficult to make a case as to why we enjoyed it quite so much. So yes. it's kind of occupied a place on that list for me of, having wanted for some time now to go back and check it out and see if it still holds up. The original Bad Lieutenant, no intention of ever having come back to watch that film yes. again. So, But there you go. I thought maybe it'll make for an interesting compare and contrast, I guess. Yes, well, let's find out if that's the case. We'll talk about uh, Bad Lieutenant first. And I'm no able for our historian, but based on my hazy memories of The King of New York, I think by the 90s he'd settled down a bit from his video nasties phase that brought him to the public attention with Driller Killer and Miss 45, the latter being the sort of film that credits him with an acting performance of the character First Rapist as though it's an orchestra or something. But (laughs) at any rate... Man, did I pick the wrong time to take a mouthful of orange juice. (laughs) At any rate, Bad Lieutenant is very much the sort of film that would have caused Mary Whitehouse to get all hot and bothered about. Uh, Harvey Keitel takes the lead as her unnamed New York copper, who, in short order, after we introduce them, will have stolen evidence from a crime scene and a bag of drugs in order to sell to his pet drug dealer, smoked a bit of the old crack, cheated on his wife, and got himself deeper in debt with his bookie on a series of failed baseball bets. And somehow, he'll get much worse over the course of the piece. Inasmuch as there's any kind of narrative driver to the film, it's to track down the rapists of Frankie Thorne's young nun in act, which we are not spared, although any such sleuthing will have to wait until the lieutenant has sexually assaulted two young women after a traffic stop. Uh, This ridiculous spiral will continue until the stress of impending retribution from the bookies and the metric butt-ton of drugs and booze causes him to have a meltdown in a church, mewling like Beaker off the Muppets and hallucinating a vision of the Christ, which Mark Remode says makes this a rightly hailed powerful tale of redemptive Catholicism, which I'll simply call stupid. <laughs> and so it goes. 
Um, I, I first watched this back in my teenage years and I didn't think all that much of it then and I don't think time has shifted my opinion of it. It's obviously a filthy old film, but where so, as something like Taxi Driver at least presented a character you'd want to pick apart and see what makes uh, Travis typical in that case stick. Here, the lieutenant is so cartoonishly, pulpishly dreadful that there's little interest to be had with him. We are left only hoping that we will see him being fed into a wood chipper and that, that this doesn't happen is surely cinema's biggest missed opportunity. <laughs> I <laughs> sorry on you go. I can't fault Kaitel's performance, I suppose, as he's certainly committed deeply to the role. Indeed, we see far more of him than any sane person would want to. And if you so desire, I suppose there's some axes you could judge this film as not being bad. However, my overriding issue with it is that I do not discern any useful point to the sleaze fest. Kaitel is a bad lieutenant, that much is driven home, but I cannot accept a drug-induced freakout, then aiding felons to elude justice, then getting shot as being any sort of redemptive character arc, particularly for a character who deserves much worse. I suppose I'm just too Old Testament. Uh, this film is like walling in the bud for 90 minutes, and I suppose there's a use for something like that in cinema, even if I'm damned if I can see one. If cinema's about feeling, then there's perhaps a time for something that makes you feel gross and dissatisfied, like you're covered in a thin film of grease. In short, I'm glad that I do not have to think of this film ever again. <laughs> yes, you're not alone. Uh, narrative fiction, I suppose, can exist or does exist for a great many purposes, Scott, and not all of those purposes are necessarily to be enjoyable. Yes. And a piece of narrative fiction can exist and be well made and well crafted and well acted and still not be enjoyable. And here we find ourselves at the doorstep of uh, Bad Lieutenant again. I think like you, I probably watched this, uh, well, it must have been round about the same time. And I, as of yet, and having just rewatched this, finished rewatching this about half an hour ago, for the first time since then, uh, I still haven't seen the uncut version and still found this to be, on second viewing, quite harrowing uh, yes. on a number of uh, occasions. And as we were saying just before we started recording, certainly one of those films that when you're younger, there are a good three or four moments in the film where it would be most inopportune of your parents to walk into the room. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't... I, I appreciate this as a character study, but that's all fine and well if it's a character that you want to spend any time with or has any redemptive qualities whatsoever. But Lieutenant, because that's, as far as I'm aware, he's, we, yeah. we never find out this character's name. He's only referred to as the Lieutenant or Lieutenant. Really has no redemptive qualities whatsoever. Um, I read into the ending of the film that he has achieved a, a, a personal salvation. And that's great for him. I think mm -hmm. I, I read this as I wasn't sure how to take this film, I think, when I was a teenager, and I don't remember enjoying it in any capacity whatsoever. Coming back to mm -hmm. it now, I can certainly enjoy or appreciate would be a better word, the depth of Kaitel's performance. Yeah. Um, because certainly at one point, at least, he's, he seems to legitimately have a needle placed in his arm. Um, yes. <laughs> whether, whether or not it contained heroin, I don't know, and I don't want to know. But. Um, I, I certainly read into this that toward the end of the film, I think, understanding that he was cornered and that there was no way he was going to get out of this, he sought personal salvation in uh, treating the nuns, um, rapists, with the kind of... What's the word I want? 
with, well, with the same forgiveness that she has and seeing them on their way, believing that that somehow will absolve him of all his previous crimes and, and help him atone uh, him so that at least he might not burn in the fiery depths of hell forever, if that is what you're inclined to believe in. So I was, I was very happy for him that in my, you know, personal interpretation that at the end of the movie, <laughs> at least, at least he, at least he died. <laughs> and perhaps the best way possible for this kind of character. But for me as a viewer, yes, slightly less redemptive of an experience. And again, I will, unless a very compelling case is made to watch this again for some sort of purpose in future, other than trying to enjoy a movie, I will not be revisiting Bad Lieutenant once more. Yes, I found it a very tough watch. Just because there's there's there is so little to like in anything that's going on on screen mm. at any point. It is by design, you know, bleak and sleazy and greedy and uh, gritty and just unpleasant. But that's all well and good. It's like it that was its goal. It has achieved that goal very well. I just don't think that goal was has a lot of value in achieving. Yeah, there um, are there are challenges throughout, but perhaps the biggest challenge, and you know, if we if we look past. The well, I mean, there are two significant sexual assaults in this film. One perpetrated by um, two young men on a nun, and you know, the other by, as you pointed out, and it's a scene which has gained infamy, but by Kaitel himself on two uh, young teenage women uh, who he's stopped for a road traffic offence. There are there are those scenes which individually are challenging, but for me, perhaps the greatest challenge of this film was making it just through the last half hour, uh, which mm. the, the whole final third of this film. Uh, Lieutenant has spiralled so deep into a drug and, and you know fueled haze that he he literally just can't stand up or walk properly yes. and just sort of <laughs> stumbles about mumbling randomly at people for the final <laughs> and can't do anything without it taking five minutes for the yeah. entire final act of this film and that in itself is perhaps the greatest challenge and I've, I've seldom have I have I seen a film that I really wanted to be over that quickly can we just yes. get this film over please. And it was very intent on not being over as quickly as you would like, even for a film which I, th- I think only runs to like 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And perhaps we should be feel ourselves blessed that it doesn't run any longer than that. But my God, is that last half hour going to make you sit through it? But yes, an interesting film. And I'd forgotten because it's also been a very long time since I've seen Reservoir Dogs, quite how silly Harvey Keitel sounds when he's trying to act uh, emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> What's that beaker? <laughs> okay, Harvey. Okay. I would say take the meds, but you already have. Um, yeah, I, I know that this film has, uh, since its release, has held a reputation as being challenging. I think I perhaps view it as challenging for different reasons now than I did uh, back then as a as a teenager, where I kind of wanted to wallow in that challenge and be all big and clever and be the guy who saw that film, and then yeah. immediately didn't understand why. And now, as a functioning adult, I find it challenging for other reasons, really, because actually some of the I mean, well, I can't. I can't speak for the unrated version, but certainly the regular home video version, the uh, R-rated uh, US version. Actually, some of the stuff in that is quite is no more not timid, but tamer by modern standards than than some other more recent films. But um, yeah, still still a challenge and, and not in a good way. Not not in the same way as say a Sudoku puzzle. Yes. <laughs> No Sudoku puzzle is bad lieutenant. 
guess will we get any more rewards from either Sudoku or Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans? Uh, yeah, Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. What an ungainly title. Um, yes. In the wake of Hurricane Katrina, New Orleans was, to put it mildly, in a right old state. We begin Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans with police officers Terence McDonough, Nick Cage and Stevie Pruitt, Val Kilmer, deciding quite what to do with a prisoner in a holding cell, floodwaters rising. Pruitt says, why waste your nice clothes diving into a river of muck to spare someone who's presumably a lost cause? But, despite protesting the resultant state of his $55 underwear, McDonough jumps in nonetheless, opens a cell, earning himself a promotion to lieutenant and an injury that manifests as crippling back pain for his heroism. It's an interesting choice to open this movie on a moral act of McDonough's, because from here on in it's all downhill for the character. One quick prescription for Vicodin and a six months later caption, and McDonough is out on the streets shaking down petty criminals for either their cash or their Class A drugs, and quite happy to hold a boyfriend at gunpoint while they watch their partner engage in arrest-avoiding sexual favours. How the mighty have fallen. Shortly thereafter, McDonough finds himself investigating the murder of a family of five Senegalese illegal immigrants, the patriarch of which appears to have been involved in dealing crack. Thus begins the police procedural aspect of the movie, though the emphasis throughout remains very much on the increasingly unhinged and depraved behaviour of Cage's character as he works the case, using every aspect of his investigation to leverage those involved for the benefit of his now rampant drug habits. After all, there's nothing wrong with benefiting personally from an active murder investigation, right? (laughs) In some respects, this movie is not what I imagine a Herzog narrative movie to be. And I say that because aside from his documentary work, I realised recently that I've only ever seen this in Rescue Dawn. Without the involvement of Herzog and Cage, more of him in a minute, B.L. Pockno would be a very... B.L. Pockno would be a pretty run-of-the-mill corrupt cop B-movie with an absolutely perfunctory <laughs> procedural overlay. Somehow, however, in playing freeform jazz with William M. Finkelstein's script as the movie was shot, Herzog has injected just enough of his own left-field signature to elevate it from the norm and has given Cage just enough run on the line to make it a thoroughly entertaining, if occasionally depraved, piece of entertainment. Yes, we get crazy howling whooping cage here, but the tone of his performance remains just sombre enough to convince us that events are either believable or convincingly explained away as the interpretation of a crack-addled mind. (laughs) Much as leaving Las Vegas gave us the occasional alcohol-fueled aside as a window into that performance, here, among other things, we get hallucinated iguanas seemingly shuffling about to the strains of Johnny Adams singing Release Me, which, of course, no one but McDonough can see, no matter how much he protests to his colleagues. It's actually one of the more enjoyable performances Cage has given in the last 20 years, notwithstanding the straight-to-VOD material I have no compulsion to check, and with the caveat that enjoyable does not condone McDonough's actions. (laughs) The supporting cast is a surprisingly robust assortment of familiar faces, some of whom I had completely forgotten in the intervening decade since we originally reviewed this. Eva Mendez is criminally underused as McDonough's call girl partner, more of a means for the crooked cop to crowbar money and drugs out of clients than anything substantial character-wise. Other notable mentions go to Shea Wiggum. Oh yeah! <laughs> as someone McDonough really ought not to have shaken down. And Exhibit, no less, as a local drugs kingpin who, if nothing else, got to be on set the day Nick Cage delivered the line, shoot him again, his soul is still dancing. <laughs> 
With no real moral judgment to seemingly make, no purpose other than to stir things up a bit, and an ending that comes in at 90 degrees to the madness, it is hard to commit to something so fragile as words exactly what it is Port of Call manages to achieve. In 2010, Scott described this film as, quote, absolute garbage, but really, really brilliant garbage, unquote. <laughs> we struggled then to qualify quite what was so great about it, but we very much enjoyed it. Despite having forgotten everything bar the soul still dancing in the intervening years, I was surprised to find that age has largely not wearied Port of Call, and I once again thoroughly enjoyed it. Much as back then, I think you really should watch it, though I make absolutely no case for it. Yes, it's a strange one. This, I still enjoyed it. I was glad to see it. I still more or less liked it as much as I recall liking it uh, yeah. a decade plus ago. Yeah, but I don't think I have any better rationale for it. Um, a no, lot absolutely of it, not. Is, as you said, is bog-standard procedural fare happen uh, with a somewhat corrupt ending. But if you if this was a slightly shinier police, policeman uh, doing the investigation that would not be any dissimilar to anything you'd see on any of a number of television criminal procedurals that are lousing up everyone's uh, most watched tv charts in the past Mm. decade or so it's actually quite ordinary in that regard really run of the mill actually if you strip everything else back yeah yeah and it is just the the actions of our lead character that makes this uh, something a bit spicier a bit different and yeah while it's a bit easier to get behind this guy, certainly than Harvey Keitel's lieutenant, because he does at least seem to have some concept of doing his job mm. when he's doing this, which seemed almost incidental to anything that Harvey Keitel was doing as bad lieutenant. But you know, he does seem at least somewhat motivated to find criminals, which is good for a cop, I think. Uh, it's a more or less the job description. <laughs> um, and yes, it is. I only really remembered the weird things. I don't think I'd remembered quite how procedural a lot of it is and quite how actually mundane quite you know, there's maybe an hour of just normal things happening in this mm. it's just the, the other hour that's a, a bit off kilter and then increasingly strange as it gets up to an ending which it, it's the sort of ending that you would think would be later be revealed to be his sort of dream yeah. for being in a drug-induced coma as yep. everything suddenly starts going right after having gone incredibly wrong up until that point and all just sort of slides together somehow through a, 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 a divine intervention almost more than anything else. Maybe that's his redemption, but uh, not that he sought it. Uh, yeah, lots of things to like, lots of the lovely character touches from the, the robust supporting cast. And uh, I guess I still enjoyed it. Quite certainly, it's much easier to recommend Portugal New Orleans uh, than the other badly dent film of what we done spoke. Um, yes, it's, it is well worth a look. And you know, like yourself, I do need to dig out some more Herzog stuff. So that's uh, something I think we will mm. pursue in due course. Uh, I don't even think I've seen Rescue Dawn. I've only seen his other uh, documentarian stuff. Did, uh, so. you, did you and I not see Rescue Dawn with Drew in the cinema? I remember going to see it at mm. the cinema, but I can't remember which of you guys was with me. If if I did, I remember nothing of it. <laughs> I don't remember anything of it either, apart from Christian Bale in a hut. Um, so, uh, no, this is the, this really is weird, and I'm not quite sure how it manages to pull off the trick it does. I think Herzog is just bold-faced enough, uh, and certainly with, with Nick Cage backing him up, just to somehow get away with it. It is plot-wise... Quite aside from Cage's character, it is probably like the most boring episode of NYPD Blue. It's literally like 45 minutes worth of cop show plot and not even that much interaction between the other cops kind of thing. Um, And then the rest of it is just propped up by this performance from Cage. And I don't know how he gets away because that's... uh, 
it feels like it could have been a pretty cheap buy-in at the start to have him do the right thing and rescue that guy. Um, mm. Because then thereafter, he really shows no evidence of of that kind of altruism again at yeah. all in the film. But you still kind of come round to being, you know, towards the end of the film, kind of feeling glad that things seem to be on the mend for him. Although yeah. I do just get the impression that toward the end of the film, Herzog had played about with the script so much that they had no idea how they were going to turn it, you know, to tie everything up. And he's just said, yeah. okay, well, everything got better. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll buy that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've, we've had the point of view shot from the uh, lizards, so yeah, at this point, it's fine. <laughs> Go with anything you like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, as and it's a reminder to me as well of actually how much I enjoy Nicolas Cage when he's being good sort of crazy. Because I feel like as I feel like as an audience it's it's become very uncool to just enjoy Nick Cage for being Nick Cage. And there was a time when we were all really glad for him to be doing this stuff. And now it yeah. feels like you can only get away with saying that you enjoyed a Nick Cage performance if you're like, I mean ironically. Um mm. and it's like, no, actually he has put in some really good performances in the last um because my God, when was his last bona fide sort of box office thing? When was I know National Treasure were like terrible films, but they did well at the box office. And I think I feel like those are the last significant things he did. Those and knowing would knowing be like two thousand and seven or something earlier, perhaps. Oh, no, no, knowing was two thousand and nine. Um, right. No, um, since then he's not really been doing much that is big Hollywood style stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's he's, he's obviously never stopped working, um, but. There's been certainly good things like Mom and Dad and Mandy and things like that that he's done, mm. and he's been <laughs> he's put in some very interesting performances in, but yeah, nothing that I can think of that yeah. is you know. nothing. Nothing that seems to have geared them back up to the big leagues again, which I would I would really like to see at some point because there's enough evidence scattered about the sort of this this last ten years to suggest that we really probably should have Nick Cage back in more bigger stuff now. Uh, yeah. Although I don't know if he's just burned so many bridges with uh, with the studio system that that's just not likely to happen. Yes, and I always like a, a Nick Cage performance, even when he's you know on his even even when he's perhaps not so invested in the role. But uh, I mean, the strange thing is, for when you see him interviewed for all of his the really sort of incredibly madcap performances that he puts in. He, he can give an interview where he actually rationally explains why he was doing everything he is. And you listen to him mm-hmm. going, yeah, yeah, okay, I get that. That all makes sense. And it's only when you go back and watch what he actually did at the end. And his, Wait <laughs> you, a minute, is he tricking Hang on, what? <laughs> it's, it's like, like, there is some method to his madness, but it is important to understand that it is definitely madness. Oh, 100%. 100%. And when you watch this, it's hard... <sighs> It's hard. It's hard to imagine that there's not something wrong in the man's mind. To I, there's there was a scene in this that I completely forgot about. The one where he he apprehends one of the suspects by sneaking into the house next door and out the back, then in the back door, yeah. and then he escorts the guy out the front door. And as he walks out, <laughs> I mean, having been in a life and death situation, as he walks out, he just turns around and smiles at his colleagues and announces, "I love it. I just love it." <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I'm like, I don't think, I don't think he's in character just now. I think Nick Cage is just commenting on life. <laughs> there is really something genuinely sort of un, uh, unbalanced about the man in a way that only he can really uh, pull off on screen and yeah. not have the audience just fold immediately. And uh, <laughs> it's a really powerful thing when it's utilised properly. And you know, it doesn't. 
I don't think Herzog lets him go completely uh, wild here by any means. I don't think it's the wildest cage performance we've seen, but I feel like it's just the right balance for what they're clearly trying to achieve with that character. Um, yeah, I mean, he's actually surprisingly reined in for an awful lot of it. Yeah. Um, he's uh, he's no more mad in his performance than Herzog is in his some of his um, directorial choices in this film. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, and it, it kind of fits the character as well, as I've said, because he does have moments of humanity. But he's not doing the right thing, but he does seem he does genuinely care about his family and mm. his um, girlfriend, which is you know, distinctly not the case in Harvey Keitel's mm. uh, version, whose family seems to he seems to more or less ignore them anytime he interacts with those guys. So yeah, yeah, it, it kind of fits the character. It's only when he's uh, partaking of a few illicit substances that he tends to go a bit more off the rails and get a bit more classic cage, if you yeah. like. And uh, yes, it's, it, it works for the character, which is, I guess, what, you, what you're looking for in an acting performance. It fits the character very well. It does. Yeah, I'm really glad we, I'm really glad we rewatched this, actually. Um, it's kind of rekindled my fondness for it, which, you know, at the time, which I'd then sort of very much forgotten about in the intervening years. So I think... It, you know, two viewings ten years apart where I felt pretty much the same way about it and enjoyed it just as much mm-hmm. would suggest that this is probably one I should have on a on a corner of the shelf somewhere as an interesting curio. Yes, I mean, I enjoyed it. It is not going to change your world. Um, it is by no means the best film you'll, you'll ever see, but it is solidly enjoyable. And um, it's remained solidly enjoyable, as you say, a decade apart from the last viewing. So there's definitely something to be said for uh, coming back to this at some point in the future again, just to see how well it holds up 20 years down the line. Um, but yes, I, I would certainly recommend anyone who has not seen it so far, rectify that as, rectify that forthwith. And uh, yeah, it's, it is good. You I, would suge- it. I would suggest there's a case to be made for a podcast where we look at his, uh, we handpick his best performances from the last 10 years, but this is a starting off point. There we go. Classic guy. There's a proposal for you. Yes. Um, and that would also be a good excuse to watch Colour Out of Space. Mm. <laughs> there we are. Well, I feel like we got something out of this, at least, Scott. That was a, not a complete washout. No, no. Um, I'm glad we watched half of these films. <laughs> and I, and I apologise for the first. <laughs> so I, would, I, I would love to know if anybody listening has had uh, any different experience with uh, the... Well, I would love to hear people's opinions of Port of Call, but certainly I would love to know if anybody had a different experience with the original uh, Bad Lieutenant, if anybody wants to get in touch. Yes. I would love to know why it's in some way important, which is kind of the what seems to be the, the general um, consensus of the part of it is the defence of it is that it is an important film somehow. And don't see it myself, but yes, if you can convince me of that, I would be delighted to hear it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, do so. On the Twitters, it, we're there at FudsOnFilm, uh, facebook.com slash FudsOnFilm if you're that way inclined, or you could email us at podcast at FudsOnFilm.com. So yes, that will wrap us up for today. Until next time, take care of yourself and each other, and I'll wish you goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.